I want to talk to you about chasing down love. And the, the beauty of this passage of Scripture is it's not over anybody's head, really. It's, it's actually easy to understand, but depending on where your heart is and even how you were raised, it may be easy to understand with the mind, but it's not supposed to just stick in the mind. It's got to saturate our hearts. It's got to characterize uh, the work of God in our spirit. And, and I'm talking about chasing down love tonight. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent a Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what's the key word? Is that not love-soaked? I mean, there is so much in there. Quite honestly, years ago, probably more than 12 years ago, I preached through the, first, the book of 1 John, verse by verse, at Meadow Baptist Church, not too terribly long after I was um, welcomed to be the pastor there. And I, I remember this passage of Scripture took me six or seven sermons, the verses we just read. So you're going to get a bunch tonight. Have you ever tried to get a sip of water out of a fire hydrant? That's what it's going to feel like tonight. But I, I'm going to tell you, if you can just get a drop or two tonight, it's going to be worth it. I, I really do want to just focus in on this. We live in a world full of people that are chasing down love. Um, those of us that were saved as adults and maybe had lived off in the world, I did that. I lived off in the world. And everything about my life during that time period, I wasn't saved until I was 24 years old, was about really just trying to find validation and love in, in the world. I was looking, you know the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. And, and that characterized so many of our lives. And then when, when, when Jesus finds us, we didn't really find him. He wasn't lost. We were. We, he finds us. 
And as, as that beautiful thing happens, that salvation, that relationship, that embrace, that acceptance, that cleansing, that forgiveness, for a lot of us, there was this epiphany, this realization of, my goodness, I have found what I have been looking for my whole life. And the simplest word to describe all of that is love. The, the Greek word is agape, and it's different than any other kind of human love. It is divine love. And yet you and I, when we come to Jesus Christ, not only receive his divine love, we also, because we've received it, we become receptacles of it and then conduits of it. It means we receive it, it transforms us, our whole Christian life, we're being transformed by the grace and the love of God. But because it transforms us, we are then called to give it. And that's what this passage is about. It's not just to receive it and hoard it, but to receive it and spill it. And that is what is going to change communities, families, churches, nations. This world is waiting for Christians to be as loving as our Christ. And we can be that generation if we want to be. We can be the generation that says no to all of the religious stuff that gets in the way of the love of Jesus Christ. And we can be the ones that say we're saying no to religion. We're saying yes to redemption. And that redemption is fueled. That vehicle of redemption is fueled by love. So let's see what John has to say about it tonight. And I'm going to give it to you in three statements as if they were coming from the Father to you. And so when I'm saying my first point, I need to tell you something. It's the Father speaking to us. It's, it's as if the Lord wants to get a private audience with you and with me, and he, he wants to say, I, I need to tell you something. And so let's begin right there in verse number seven. He gives us what I call to begin with a sublime truth. Now, this could be the rest of our time together. I'm not going to let it be, but he opens up with this sublime statement. He says, beloved, he's talking to believers, beloved, the family of God, Christians, the church, beloved, let's love one another for love is from God. Now, those statements are so simple, and yet if we really wanted to, we could unpack them and unpack them and unpack them and unpack them, and we would find that we've just touched on a truth that is bigger than our minds can comprehend. The Bible says simply this truth, that love is from God, that the riches and the reality of what true love is, is anchored in the personhood of God. It is different from any human love, any human love independent of the person and the work of God. Love is from God, and it is the character. It's the quintessential character, uh, a component of his character. It is the core of who God is. There are two things that drive my thoughts about God. One, that he is holy, and two, that he is love. And depending on how I'm thinking that day, I am locked into one or the other. If, when we think of God, the most important thing that, that, you, that describes you is what comes to mind when you think of God. And, and if we can get to this place where we recognize that God is not the scowling rule keeper, leaning over the edge of heaven, making sure we're obeying all the rules, that's not the heart of God. But God is a father, unlike any father any of you ever had. And he is a father who does everything, not most of what he does, everything fueled by a love that we cannot comprehend. And that means he's always for you. That means it doesn't mean he approves and signs off on everything that we do, but it does mean that he is always seeking your highest good. And when the statement is made from John that God, that love is from God, I want you to think about this thing. I, I kind of chewed on this today. And I thought of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then I thought of the church. And so love originated in the Father. 
Love is the component of who God is. It's a predominant characteristic of of who the Father is. And so love originated in the Father, but it it would not have done any good had it not done the second stage, which is love manifested in the Son. You know, we read the Old Testament, and I'll be honest with you, I read the Old Testament, and except from the Psalms, I don't really come away confident in the love of God when I read the Old Testament. And so we're going to find out in this passage that, yes, love originated in the Father, but it was manifested in the Son. And manifest just means it was brought to visibility. It was able to be experienced. We experience the manifest love of God through the person of the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ. But beyond the manifestation of love in the Son, it is activated through the Spirit. This is where you and I are kind of without excuse that all of us as believers in Jesus Christ receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation. Now, I know that there's some differing doctrine about that. I'm not talking about the baptism of the Spirit. I'm talking about the reception of the Spirit and the moment you were saved, you have the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, that gives us the ability to live out the love of Jesus Christ. And so you have God's love within you. How much we're releasing, that depends. That depends on a lot of various factors. But there's no excuse for any of us to say, I'm just not loving, it's not my personality, that's not my temperament, I'm not sensitive, I'm not tender. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not sensitive, I'm not tender, but I sure don't want that to be a reason why I don't operate and grow in love. And the beauty of it is this, is that it is activated. Love, God's love is activated through the Holy Spirit in your life and mine. That's one of the main reasons that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not so we can just speak in tongues and sit around and prophesy to each other, but that we can actually love those that are in our life. So walk with me again through this. It originated in the Father. It was manifested in the Son. It is um, activated through the Spirit. And then ultimately, this is the end game. It's demonstrated by the Christian. You see, friends, God originated it. The Son manifested it. The Holy Spirit activates it. But until it is demonstrated by us, we're going to find out in this very passage of Scripture, people can't see God. And so if they're going to see God, they're going to see him through whom? The church, through the believers, the followers of Jesus. And when we demonstrate the love of God, and you're going to be interested to find out where that's going to be primarily demonstrated, people will look upon us and they will say, I sense something about them. Do you ever remember when you were not yet a believer, if you were saved later in life? Were you ever around Christians and, you know, well, let me give my testimony instead of just theorizing on yours. I worked with a guy who was a radical Christian. He was a couple of years younger than me. I was in my 20s. And I wanted to hate the dude because he drove me crazy. He he spoke to me frankly about my lifestyle and my sin and all the junk I was in back then. And I, but he walked around that place where we worked and had the audacity to have joy in my presence. He was joyful. He was at peace. He laughed. He smiled. You know, I was always trying to shake off the latest hangover, and this guy was listening to gospel music, and there was something about him that I wanted to hate, but I couldn't. And the main reason I figured out later, after he led me to Jesus two years later, is, oh, he actually loved me. He actually loved me, and not only me, he loved other people. And so it's, it's this dynamic of the activation and the demonstration of love through the Christian that is an eye-opening catalyst in our community. How many of you know that most of the people you work with and most of the people that you're living around and most of the people in your family, they do not care about your pastor's sermons? They're not impressed. They don't care. They're not going to probably want to really just come. I'm talking about unbelievers. They don't really want to get up on Sunday morning and come and hear this guy preach or any other guy or lady preach. 
They don't want to hear that. What do they want? They want to know if your Christianity is real enough, not to get you in a church building, but to love them at their weakest and worst moment. And we can do that, and that's the joy. It's so empowering to think that, okay, I don't have to be a theologian. I don't have to be a Bible scholar. I don't have to go to Timbuktu as a missionary, but I can actually consistently live out a life of just loving people. And yes, when opportunity comes, we give the gospel, but ultimately the giving of the gospel is only going to be as effective as the love within the one giving it. And so John is telling us all of this stuff. I don't even know where I am right now because I'm just getting encouraged in this stuff. But yeah, I'm still at the beginning of verse 7. So let's go a little further. So this sublime truth gives way to what I call a spiritual trait. And I'm not going to hammer this because it's repeated over and over again in this passage. But here it is. It's just this trait. You, you've, got, you've got your father's DNA in you, your heavenly father's. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now you need to be real careful here. Because it would be an opportunity for a person that has not received Jesus Christ and does not confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to, to give herself a free pass and say, but I'm loving, therefore I must know God. Well, friends, we're not talking about human love. We're not talking about conditional love. We're not talking about love that says, what are you going to do for me? And then later says, what have you done for me lately? That, that is, a, that is a, a human love. That is a fleshly love. That is a temporal love. But this is talking about literally the love of Jesus Christ, the love that characterized him will begin to flow through you. And, and, and listen, most of you have already experienced it. I hope you're not giving yourself like a report card moment here saying, oh, I think I'm getting a D minus in this. I need to go. Listen, what I'm saying is this. There needs to be a trajectory of maturing for all of us. I don't care if you're the most loving Christian in the room. If you are, and you, that means you're tightly walking with Jesus, because you're tightly walking with him, there's something in, in you that says, I want to love more because I don't quite love like he does yet. So we're always growing. If you happen to be like me, love doesn't come naturally to me. I mean, I'm married to the love gusher. My, my wife was taught as a young girl, love, love, love. She loves so easily. She loves so freely. Don't mess with her. Don't do her wrong. But I'm going to tell you something. She loves, and she loves the unlovable. And so the first thing that hit me when we got married is, man, I had a love for theology. I had a love for the cross. I had a love for kind of the hard-edged parts of the kingdom. But I don't really love people, and I didn't know it until I married into a family of love gushers. And so over years, I'm going to tell you, my wife outloves me. I don't know that I will ever, quote-unquote, catch up with her, but I'm going to tell you, by watching her love, I'm learning to love. And so if you're a person here that doesn't love naturally, it's okay, because we're not talking about natural love. We're talking about supernatural love fueled and empowered by the Holy Spirit and demonstrated by you, and your Father's DNA is in you. If you're saved, the Heavenly Father's DNA, His Spirit is in you, and so you and I can grow in this. But here's the sad tragedy in verse number 8, and this, this, is, this needs to be said. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, I don't, have, I don't know how to measure that. I really don't, but I do know how to read it and believe it. That the scriptures say that you can have all of your theology right. You can have a, a, a doctorate in theology. You can be a professional clergy person, whatever that is. You, you could be the longest standing church member of the most orthodox church on planet earth. You can be moral. If you, you can say, I'm a right winger because a lot of southerners just assume Jesus is a right winger. You're going to be surprised when you get to heaven that he's not signing off on all your political stuff. But the point being is this, you can be as moral, you can be as right winger, you can be as a conservative, you can be as orthodox, you can be all of those things, but none of it means 
anything, none of it authenticates your faith if there's the absence of love. And so what the Lord does is say, oh, I, I see the outside. I hear your, your eyes being heavily dotted in bold font. I see your T's being slashed and crossed, and that's great. You got your T's crossed and you got your I's dotted. But child, I want to tell you something. I want to give you my heart because I want you to love me. I want you to receive my love for you, and I want it to spill over into other lives. And the Bible is very clear on this. The person who does not love doesn't know God. So when we look at all this, let me give you just a couple of verses. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed, just one chapter earlier, we know that we've passed from death into life. Why? Because we have love for the brothers. And that's the brothers and sisters. It's the family of God. That one of the evidences of having a regenerate life, of being born again, of being uh, spiritually linked to Jesus Christ, of being in him, is that you have a growing love. Now again, put up your scorecard and your grading. Put up your measuring stick. Don't, this is not the time to get afraid. What I'm saying is this. In the complete absence of love, in a refusal to love, in a dismissing of the component of love, that's not a person who knows God yet. But a person who's wrestling with it saying, I know I don't love like I should, but I really want to love more. And Father, I'm helpless. I can't do this on my own. I, listen, that's beautiful evidence that you are in Christ, that you do know God because you have a thirst to be like him. People whose hearts are hardened that don't know God, they don't, they don't care about stuff like this. Right? Love, who cares? They, they don't care about that. But when our hearts are tenderized by the Lord, hearing this kind of stuff just says, yeah, I really need to grow in this area. I really want to grow in this area. Why? Because it's actually the evidence of our salvation. It's just in us. Jesus said in the famous verses in uh, John 13, 34, and 35, he said, a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also must love one another. And then he says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another. Now, this is pretty incredible because he's talking to Christians about their need to obey their, his command to love other Christians. That's literally what he's saying. So I like to, when the Lord's given a command, I want to make sure I'm understanding him. He's talking to Christians and he's saying, do you want to know what's going to open the eyes of the unbelieving world? When you Christians, my disciples, start really loving each other. He actually calls us to have it start in the family of God. Now, isn't it interesting that that we tend to have more of a, an oomph about loving the lost and loving the, the unfortunate, loving the sick and loving the starving and loving the perishing, and all of that is important. We're not minimizing that at all. But Jesus actually said in the arena of people being awakened to who he is, he actually indicates that, that, that non-believers are watching believers, and if they don't see us loving each other, they're not going to give credibility to our statement that we belong to Jesus. It's pretty intense, especially if you've hung out in the local church or been around Christians a long time, because I know none of y'all have ever had a Christian in the church that got on your last nerve. I know none of y'all, because y'all are water walkers. Y'all aren't, y'all just, you know, y'all skip across the waves. But for the people who might listen later on podcasts, they may need this. And so, <laughs> tongue in cheek here, we all need this. Uh, listen, we're actually called to love those that are unlovable like Jesus loves the unlovable. And before you run too far with that, let me just tell you, you and I are the unlovable. And you know how much he loves you? 
And John's going to talk about this here in a second. He's like, let me tell you what love really is. And so we've got all of this in play, and it's just the father saying, I need to tell you something. And what is he telling us? He's telling us that I, God, I, the Father, I'm love. And he's saying, if you're born of me, you're going to be loving. And then he says, and the ones who won't love, they don't know me yet. And so it automatically alerts us. We're saying, okay, Father, say on, speak on to us. Well, he does. Verses 9 through 13. He says, not only do I need to tell you something, but I want to show you something. Because God is very compassionate. He knows that we need more than words. And he goes, okay, I'm going to actually give you an illustration. I'm going to give you proof that I love you. And that proof is his son, Jesus. And so here we go. As he wants to show us something, he says this, my love is seen through my gift. Verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And then he says this in verse 10, and this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the big word, propitiation, for our sins. Okay, so the father says, let me just take all doubt away. And you're so used to the gospel, I am too. I mean, if you've been in church for a year, you're so used to the gospel. And one of the greatest needs in our lives is to keep ourselves freshly grateful for who Jesus is and what he did. Because in so much ministry and so much kingdom opportunity and so much of of the work of God, and he's doing some wonderful things here at Newbridge Church, and one of my pastoral concerns is that we will be so much about advancing his kingdom that we won't intentionally stop and just get still and put everything else away and just get refreshed in our gratitude about the love of God being demonstrated towards us in Christ's death for us. Friends, we do grow in the gospel, but we never grow away from the gospel. We, we, we grow in our understanding capacity of the kingdom, but the kingdom is, for us is anchored in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so the Father is saying here, I want to show you something. If, if you want to know my love, here it is. This is how it was manifested. That's the word that John used there. It just means he brought it into plain sight. What is it? That Jesus came. And so if we can think of a father-child term, a father-son term, the, the father who had unbroken eternal fellowship with the son. I can't explain the Trinity. I can't explain the diversity in the Godhead and also the unity in the Godhead, but I do know it's a biblical reality. And so father and son enjoyed perfect oneness, perfect fellowship, perfect union in eternity past. And yet the moment came where the son, God the son, took upon the form of a human servant, He was robed in flesh. He was made in the likeness of men. He submitted himself to all of the laws of nature, all the functions and limitations of a human body, and lived for 30 years completely anonymously. And then for three and a half years, he ministered to a world that rejected him, abused him, spit on him, lied about him, ultimately called for his murder and his crucifixion. And then while he's hanging on the cross, he's still loving them. He's saying, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then when he rose from the grave, he showed himself alive for many weeks. And then eventually he loved them for those times. Then he went to heaven. He's still loving us and he's interceding. And the father is saying this. He's saying, if you want to know how much I love you, I sent my only begotten son, my beloved son, to come and rescue you. And then John adds this in verse 10. He says, that's love. He says, love isn't really 
The, the pinnacle of love is not that you and I love God. I mean, doesn't that make sense that we would love God? I mean, it does. That's, that's not a stretch that the creature would love the creator because he's good and he's perfect and he's holy and he's kind and he's generous and he's lavish and he's pursuant and he's gracious and he's merciful and everything he does is good and he's good towards us. And John says, you love him? Duh, yeah, of course you love him. John says, that's not really the big deal about love. The big deal about love is that same God loves you. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask you a question because one of my jobs and my functions in the kingdom is to provoke you to think. How long has it been since you hunkered down on that truth and just literally soaked in the reality that this awesome, immeasurable, inexhaustible, unfathomable, glorious God loves little old you? Right where, not, not simply when he saved you, but he still loves you. And I went to great lengths last Sunday to tell you he doesn't just love you, he likes you that he delights in you, that he twirls and dances and sings over you at the top of his lungs, according to Zephaniah chapter number 3, verse number 17, that he's really a papa at heart, and, and he just lavishly loves you. And John says, yeah, that's love. That's what we need to keep track of. Now, his love is not only seen through the gift of his son, verses 11 and 12. The father says, my love is seen through my children, John speaks on behalf of the Father, and he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, here we go, now we're getting taught, so also we ought to love one another. And then he adds this statement, No one has ever seen God. And then he adds this, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. John is saying, Hey, I want you to know that nobody around you has ever seen God. And if they're going to see him, this is the teaching of verses 11 and 12. If they're going to see, them, see him in any capacity, they're going to see him in how we as Christians love each other. John is saying there's a problem on planet Earth. It's the problem that every, every atheist demands. We've got some people in the room that used to be atheists that, that God came to them in grace and mercy and ransomed their minds, ransomed their hearts, ransomed their souls, and now they're fervently living for Jesus. But every agnostic and atheist would simply say this, if God's alive, he ought to prove himself to me and remove all doubt. There's a little problem with telling God what to do. He doesn't play. He's not obligated. He, he, he doesn't, he, he's not looking to intellectually convince you. He's looking to transform your soul. And that comes through the corridor of faith. So what does he do? He, he sends messengers, but he also sent his son. But this is the thing that the Lord wants us to recognize at the, as the church. That the father wants to put his love on display through your relationship with the Christian sitting around you. That the father wants in the, in the crucible of doing life together, where we don't always see eye to eye. We're not even supposed to, by the way. I mean, who wants to, who wants to be a part of a vanilla church? Vanilla, when I go and get some ice cream, and I've had a cup or two in my lifetime, I want something, I want some texture, I want some flavor, I want it to crunch or chew and to be cream. I... You hand me some vanilla ice cream, and I'm, gonna, I'm not just going to tell you. I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to like flavor it up a little bit. Put a little extra. Do something with that. That's the baseline. <laughs> That's not what I'm looking for. I think we're going to go to Dairy Queen after church. I'm just calling myself into it. 
But who wants to be a part of a vanilla church where everybody looks alike, thinks alike in everything? I'm not talking about theology. I'm talking about, in, you know, well, if you want to come to this church, you've got to be this kind of in your politics. You've got to look this way. You've got to act this way. And there's so much stinking, that's probably not an appropriate word, but it's just stinking cliques and clubs and nonsense that the world is seeing. And we're portraying that. The body of Christ in America, all over the world probably, is portraying that as what it means to follow Jesus. And is it any wonder why, why there's, there's just not a great embracing of our message anymore? I think probably what we need to do is, as we retain our distinct flavors, our distinct textures, as, our, as, as we get to be the individuals that God created us to be, but we submit ourselves in love to one another, and we actually, love means to seek the highest good of the other person. Love does not mean if I love you, I'm always making you feel good about you. That's a perverted way of thinking of love. That's the way the world expects us to love. Well, if you say anything that hurts my feelings, you don't love me. Well, what if me hurting your feelings is the gateway to your soul being saved? Well, sometimes we have to speak that way. But, but what, what ultimately this world is looking for is like, hey, Christians... Y'all talk about a risen Savior who does the supernatural and the miraculous and who's going to have one body and every tongue and tribe and nation and they're all going to come together and there's this great oneness coming through this one y'all called Jesus who's the Messiah and Savior. I hear you saying all that, but y'all can't even get along together in the parking lot on a Sunday. And they've got a right to expect that we would live with an elevated sense of being for others and toward others and loving others. And so when I'm looking at this, I'm saying, what an awesome opportunity for me to put Jesus on display, not in a pulpit. It's easy up here. This is easy. I've been doing this a long time. This is easy up here. Let me tell you where it's hard. When there's conflict with a brother, when there's a disagreement with a sister, in my marriage or in my raising of my children, that's where Jesus needs to shine forth. And it's the same is true in your life. And when he does, that our lives do take on that flavor that makes people hungry for what we've got. So down in verse number 13, so his love, the father's love is seen in his gift of Jesus. The father's love is seen in how his children love one another. And then the father's love is seen through his spirit. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him, in God, and he in us, watch this, because he has given us of his spirit. Now, this is good. One of the things that doesn't get a lot of press, especially in a church like Newbridge, where we affirm the miraculous, we affirm all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we seek to grow in those, we seek to pursue them, we want them activated, we don't want it just to be theology, we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the work of the ministry, not so we can say, hey, 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 welcome to the coolest charismatic church in Gwinnett County. That's not why we want the gifts of the Spirit. We want the gifts of the Spirit because they're necessary in order to fulfill the full calling of God on the body of Christ in a local assembly. But one of the things that doesn't get a lot of press about the Holy Spirit is, is this right here, that one of the works of the Holy Spirit is that he, he is active and intentional in confirming that you are abiding in Jesus. One of the things that is, is breakthrough territory in, in a believer's life is when that believer gets that unshakable confidence that he or she is in Jesus and abiding in Jesus. 
And listen, I'm as saved as Jesus' blood is effective. If Jesus' blood loses its effectiveness, my salvation is in jeopardy. But as long as Jesus' blood is poured out before the Father, then atonement is made for my sin. Now, if I treat that casually and I say, well, (laughs) Jesus shed his blood so I can do whatever I want. I can sin. I can live this way. I can live that way. That's not the kind of attitude that is a part of a genuinely converted person's life. People ask me, especially when we were merging two churches together, and I came from the Baptist church, and we were merging within Assemblies of God Church, one of the questions that came up is, Jeff, do you believe in this once saved, always saved? And I'm very careful in how I answer that question. When I hear once saved, always saved, I go back to this idea of, I prayed the prayer when I was little, I asked Jesus into my heart, and it doesn't matter that I've lived like a hellion for 10 years, he's got to let me into heaven because I prayed the prayer and I believe. Do I believe that salvation? I absolutely do do not. However, I would differ with a lot of people saying it's not that they got saved in that moment and lost it when they sinned. It's that if the salvation doesn't eventuate into a holy life, then it wasn't salvation to begin with. It was something up here that missed right here. And so, brothers and sisters, it's this flippant term, once saved, always saved. We we need to discard that. Let me just tell you this. Uh, A faith that saves is a faith that behaves. And so when when we're looking at this life, when I'm seeing this in here, one of the jobs, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit that he's assigned to himself is when we're walking with him, he's going to give you confidence that you are in Jesus. And you're going to be able to walk that out. And listen, if you're up and down and in and out, and you never know if you're saved on one day and not saved on the other day, and and was I good enough today or was I too bad yesterday, you're going to find out in just a minute that what you need to have is an encounter with God that you're so wrecked by his love that you leave changed and that, that fear is evicted by perfect love. That's what one of the things, this is a practical component of the love of the Father. It's not just to make us feel warm and comfortable and sweet and, you know, the prolonged hug. That's part of it. I'm not going to avoid that. But the reality is, is that we have to be so confident in God's love for us. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to breed that confidence in you. And as you abide in Christ, that does involve obedience. It does involve reverence. It does involve a trajectory of your heart towards God. What happens is you are abiding in Jesus. You're walking with Jesus. You're experiencing successive fillings of the Holy Spirit. Listen, as much as I love you and how beautiful you are and wonderful Christians you are, you and I are leaky buckets that need to be filled constantly. Yesterday's filling, tonight, I was getting filled on the front row, but I'm going to tell you something. I will need to be refreshed in a filling of the Holy Spirit before, the, before my head hits the pillow tonight. Why? Because if, if, if I'm walking in my flesh, I have no confidence that I'm abiding in Christ, and I lose my awareness that the love of God is what secures me in Jesus, not my performance. You need to hear me on that. It's not an excuse to live a flippant life. I'm, don't leave here saying, Jeff says you can leave any way you want, That's not, or live any way you want. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is, you better be glad that the endurance of your salvation does not depend on you hitting the high mark every day. Right? You know, some of you aren't convinced yet. Well, you need this message, so let me go further in it. I know that's sensitive territory here, but I hope you hear the balance in what I'm saying. He's given you his spirit in part, according to verse 13, so that you can know that you're abiding in Jesus. So that you can know it. You don't have to, you don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. So down through verses 14 through 19, and if you'll give me about five 
to 60 more minutes, I will. <laughs> give me about five minutes. The last thing the Father says is, I'm going to give you something. And listen, um, I like Christmas. I know Jesus said it's better to, to give than to receive. And, but when the Father is doing the giving, it's really good to receive what he's giving. And so he wants to give you something. What is it? It's, it's some good heart strength here. Verses 14 and 15. First of all, he said it already. He's going to say it again. I give you my son. John says, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his son to be the Savior of the world. If you're here tonight and you have never received Jesus, I want to tell you that you can. And there's not a force in hell that can stop you from receiving Jesus Christ tonight if you want to. You want to know why? Because God wants you to receive his son. And if you want to receive his son, you absolutely can. But you have to do it on his terms. You have to come and say that you will repent. You'll turn loose of sin. It doesn't mean you quit everything and then come to Jesus. It just means in the moment of decision, nothing is more important to you than receiving Christ as the Lord of your life. I didn't quit drinking and doing drugs and all the junk I was doing in my life so I could be saved. I just came to the Lord and said, I am a total foul up. Lord, here is my life. It's wrecked. It's ruined. I, I don't know how to get out of this, but I just say, here it is. It's all yours. And amazingly, instead of me waiting to clean up my life before I came to him, I just came to him all messed up and he cleaned it up. And so if you're here tonight, maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're upstanding, you're moral, and, but, but you're religious, but not reborn yet. And friend, I want to tell you something. The, the, the bride of Christ is made up of new creatures, not, not old creatures with a little polish on them, with, with a little varnish. That's not what we're talking about. It just means this, come as you are, come humbly, come broken. And the Bible says that Jesus, the Father sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. That means anybody who wants to be saved can. And that's the, that's the beauty of the gospel, young or old, black or white. From, from the, the marbled halls of religion, you can be saved. From the gutter in some back alley in downtown Atlanta, you can be saved. But you will come through Jesus. You must come through Jesus. And as a matter of fact, I'll go so far as to say, if you are ready for that commitment, then I want to talk to you before you leave here tonight. It's so important. But for those of us that are saved, it, it goes on to say this. He, uh, in verse 15, it says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So it's a heart confidence that leads to a verbal confession. You, 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 I do this from time to time. I sense the enemy coming in and, and, and I see him moving. And if you ever want to chase hell out of your life, if you ever want to send a demon running, I literally do this. You can think I'm crazy, but it works. I will say out loud, sometimes in an empty room, Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has come in the flesh. I confess him as the Lord of my life. And I will say that over and over and over. Because the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is the anathema to a demon's ears. They hate it. They hate it, and I confess it over and over again, and I confess that he is the Son of God, and I confess that he is the Lord of all. I don't just think it, I say it, because it does me good to hear it, and it sends the enemy running. I, I just give you that little pastoral tidbit there. If, you're, if you ever sense your mind being attacked, your heart being attacked, if temptation is coming upon you, verbally confess out loud, Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has come in the flesh. And you say that over and over again, I promise you something. As you resist the enemy that way, he will flee. John says it slightly different here. He says, just confess that Jesus is the Son of God because that means that Christ is a abiding in you and he in God. So he gives you 
his son. He also gives you his assurance, verse 16. So John says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. There's no question mark in that verse. Those are dogmatic statements. The Holy Spirit moves John to write these dogmatic statements. John says, we have come to know it. John didn't have his fingers crossed. John didn't say, man, I hope, I hope this pans out to be okay in the end. John would give his life ultimately for this confidence. He knew that God was for us, that the love that God has for us. Listen, friend, will you let yourself go there? I mean, I, I feel so challenged in my own life right now. If you ask me today, matter of fact, I had lunch with Taylor Harris, who, who does uh, the Gwinnett Friday Night Regionals, and Taylor and I spent two hours today talking about the love of the Father. I and mean, we could have talked about anything, but the area where I'm just being drawn more deeply in is, Lord, I must grow in my understanding and confidence of your love for me, and I want to grow in my capacity to love others. And that's in the midst of a really busy life. My life's like a lot of yours, really busy, a lot of practical things to do. But is there really anything more urgent on us right now than we would be convinced of God's love for us? Friends, when we come to that increasing confidence that he loves us, not on your good days, here's an amazing thought. You just take a minute and think of the worst day you've had in the past 12 years where you messed up, where you were the one who blew it. In that moment, he loved you no less than he did at your peak moment, your fullest moment in the kingdom, full of the Spirit. Maybe you're just in, caught up in an ecstatic moment with the Lord and the heavens are opening. He loved you no more in that moment than he loved you in your weakest moment. And until we can come to the confidence that our confidence is not in our performance before God, he's not, he doesn't walk around with a clipboard. I mean, some of us, some of us we, we, we would never say it that way, but we live with the feeling that God's just like, mm-hmm. Mm. Again, are you... And the reality is, is he doesn't operate like that. When you were his enemy through Jesus, he made you his child. God the Father gave you his best when you were at your worst. And how can we begin to think that now as his children, he's going to start <laughs> withholding from us? I just want to tell you, he loves you. He loves you in spite of that hidden thing in your past. He loves you in spite of that thing you're struggling with today. He loves you in spite of any fears you have about tomorrow. I mean, he really, 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 really loves you. And you have to allow yourself to grow in the confidence of that Verse 17 and 18, he says, I give you my peace. I give you my son. I give you my assurance. I give you my peace. Verse 17, by this is love perfected or matured with us so that we have confidence. That's a Greek word that means boldness. So that we have boldness for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. And then he says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love evicts fear. It kicks it out. It casts it out. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So this is beautiful. John is telling us here, the Father is speaking through John, and John is saying, you can so grow in your confidence in the love of the Father for you, 
that you and when you think about the judgment day you'll have no fear you'll actually be bold in your thought about it now friends that's intense that lets me know right away that i've got room to grow because i'm not i'm not terrified of judgment but i'm not necessarily looking forward to standing giving a full evaluation for my entire life i'm not done yet and so the, the thought that I'm going to stand one-on-one before Jesus Christ, not to have my sin judged, he's already judged that, but to have my life evaluated. And that, that's the whole thing's going to be, the Bible says it'll be tried by fire. That means it'll be evaluated by God. And everything that was worthless will be burned up. It says the believer will be saved, but so as by fire. In other words, we'll have to go through the, the evaluation, the fire of our life being judged concerning its value. And whatever's left is our reward for all of eternity. Man, I want to run this rabbit trail, and I just don't have time tonight. Somebody, seriously, Art, help me remember this to, to get a message on the judgment seat of Christ. I'm really feeling grace on that right now. Will you help me remember that? Um, so the, the point being is this, is that you can actually grow in your confidence in God's character and love to the point where you don't dread eternity, and you don't dread right now. Why? Because the one who is being matured or perfected in love is the same person that's being set free from her fears. So the person who's afraid, suspicious, paranoid of God, and there's so many things that can warp our understanding of the Father. I mean, good night alive. I, was, I ran from God for so long because I just knew if I, didn't, if I ever stopped running, he'd catch me. And if he caught me, it was going to be trouble. What I didn't know is, yeah, I needed to stop running. He did catch me, but it wasn't to squash me. It was to save me. How, can, you, can you imagine yourself living with no dread, no dread, no terror, no anxiety, no fear? The Word of God says it's absolutely possible for the Christian to do that, but it's tied to our willingness to mature in love and our understanding of his love, and then the giving of that love. You and I cannot be filled with greater love from God. We can't experience, it doesn't mean, well, let me tell you what it does mean. We cannot be filled with deeper experience of God's love if we're not giving out the love that we already believe in. So in other words, if I'm convinced at this level that God loves me, he wants me to give it away because when he fills it back up, it's going to be at a higher level. But if I am not loving others, if I am not allowing him to love others through me, then I am stagnated in my ability to receive more love from him. And when I say receive it, it's not that he's giving more love. It's that I lose my capacity to experience it at greater levels. And so it's like anything else. It's the same way when we give with our finances. God says, if you'll just give, if you'll, you'll sow the seed I give you, I'll give you more seed. And so we give, and he keeps giving, and we get, you can't outgive God. You can't outlove him either. So the more we love, the more love we are qualified to experience from him and have the sense of it. And so from that comes this absence of fear. I will say this, and I'm, I've just got to finish. Fear... If you're living in fear, please don't minimize that. And you're, you're not a weirdo. A lot of Christians live with a certain level of anxiety and fear, and they just learn to manage it, but they don't get delivered from it. Listen, fear is always the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit will draw attention to it. And the fear is, is literally evidence that something is spiritually out of joint. It doesn't mean you're a terrible Christian. It doesn't mean that God thinks any less of you. But for your sake, he wants you to be delivered from that fear. And the fear is a, a diagnostic. It's like your engine light. It lets you know something's not right. Something's not running as it should. What is it? Well, you need to grow in love. 
Because love displaces fear in your life. Then the very last thing, and it really is, verse 19, the Father says, I give you my ability. We love because he first loved us. Cause and effect. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then we have that commandment, uh, whoever loves God must also loves his brother. And so that's where I'm going to end it tonight. The last thing. The awesome part of this is the Father knows we can't do this on our own. And so you can't leave here tonight saying, man, I'm great. I walked in tired. I'm leaving worse. You know what I mean? Mm -mm. Because what the Father says is he says, "I, I know you can't do it. The command to love arises our sense of dependence. It raises our sense of dependence. Lord, I can't love like you love. I don't have that capacity. And he doesn't say, well, you ought to. He says, I know you can't. I'm going to do it through you. So if you will trust that I love you, you're then the perfect candidate for me to love through you. And friends, I promise you it works. Don't look at it as a mad dash to the finish line. Look at it as an opportunity to say, I can grow in this. I want to grow in this. I actually want to experience and have confidence at greater levels of his love for me. And Father, I actually want to love anybody that I can love. And Father, I have a little bit of fear with that. But Lord, you've already said that your love working in me will evict that fear And so if you'll give me your ability, I just commit to be open to loving. That's why Jesus could look at us and say, I even want you to love your enemy. Jesus picked the hardest people to love, and he says, let's do this. Let me love through you, and you can love even your enemy. So friends, chasing down love, you don't have to. You don't have to chase love. You already have it through Christ. And because you have it through Christ, instead of chasing it down, you can offer it out. You can give it to others.